Hello beautiful people and welcome to the JC Health podcast series called Empowered Health. I'm your host Courtney Dixon and this is episode two of the podcast series. In today's episode we're going to be exploring sugar dysregulation and what that means and how we might go about regulating or getting things back into balance with sugar. Sugar has been mentioned a lot in the media lately and it's been spooked to be something evil. And just to put it clearly for you, sugar is not evil. And we'll explore all kinds of facets around this topic. So sit back, get comfy and let's get into it. Let's talk about sugar, baby. Let's talk about sugar, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about sugar. (laughs) Okay, so let's actually start talking about sugar, not singing about it. So in the previous episode where I was talking about psychiatric pretenders, we covered the topic around hangry And just for those that may have not heard that, please listen to the previous podcast and you'll get a bit more background insight into that. But this follows on from that because being hungry has to do with sugar dysregulation. And this is where the hormones epinephrine or adrenaline and cortisol are released and and triggered due to low blood glucose levels causing irritability and emotional lability. So following on from that, but can blood sugar dysregulation actually lead to other things such as anxiety? It sure can. Even if you don't have anxiety, stabilizing blood glucose levels is key to having overall improved mood energy, mental focus, sleep, and fewer cravings. The first step is determining whether your sugar levels are high and how much sugar you are consuming and if it is contributing to your anxiety. Now, sugar is sneaky. It creeps into so many foods without you realising it. That bottle of sauce on the shelf in the supermarket, or that food in a box when you're walking down the aisles? How long do you think it has been sitting there for? And how is it possible I can still eat these foods when they have expiry dates for years and they are not rotten? These are some very, very good questions and I'm glad that you're starting to question things and not just accepting what you're taking as the normal everyday activity. The fresh produce in the fresh section in the supermarket, that food is turned over regularly because, as you know, it will go off if it sits there for too long. Yet those packaged goods sitting down the main section of the supermarket can sit there for years and years and years and years. So how is it possible that it's not rotten? It is jam-packed full of so much salt to prevent it going off. And that is how it is still edible. But how do you make that salt-filled food taste good? No one wants to eat something that's completely salty all the time. You add sugar. 
Have a look on the packets before you buy food off the shelf next time you're in the supermarket. How much has been slipped into foods you wouldn't think need to have sugar in it? Not to mention the other additives that are in there. Wherever possible, you should be aiming to eat foods that do not come in a packet. Foods that are naked. Ooh la la. That way you know you're actually eating food. I saw a great quote today by um, Dr. Mark Hyman where he said there are two types of foods. There is food and then there is junk. There is no in-between. And that way you know you're eating foods, if it's whole foods, that our body is designed to process, that are natural for us. Now, I hear you down the back there saying, but what about the impact of farming practices that have had on our fresh food, Courtney? Don't worry, I'll talk about that another day. I hear you. And yes, that does impact food, but eating packaged, processed foods is not a better option. Now, back to sugar. You need to look at how much you are getting in a day. Has that afternoon stack of biscuits to reward yourself for your hard work now turned into an everyday event? I know I find I catch myself doing that sometimes. A good way to check in with yourself is to write down what you are eating in a day and just see where there may be some excess sugar coming from or even just sugar you may not have realised is creeping in, particularly as we talked about having a look at the packet if it is something coming in a packet just to see how much sugar may actually be hidden on in there. Even so-called healthier treats, like raw treats, are still full of sugar. That's why they are still called a treat. So I know we can easily fall into the trap of going, well, this is a raw um, vegan slice, therefore this is good for me and I can eat as many of these as I like and it's not the same as eating a packaged chocolate biscuit. However, it's not as clear-cut as that and unfortunately, just because it's raw, doesn't mean you get a free pass to just chow down on it. Sorry. I know, I'm being the bearer of bad news. And the key word there is a healthier treats. Now don't get me wrong, I love baking and making healthier treats too, but just because it's healthier doesn't mean we need to have them every day. And they can be in food, they can be in the foods such as brown sugar, honey, maple syrup, dates, stevia, agave nectar, etc. So all of those sweeter sugars. Now they may not cause as big of an insulin spike, but they still will have an effect on your blood glucose and there will be still some insulin stimulation. These healthier sugars may also have trace elements and minerals that are good for you, but they are still sugar. Okay, so think about that, please, and try not to let them slip in. Like, I had to really check in with myself because I was doing the exact thing that I'm talking about. But in saying all this about sugar, please don't get the wrong impression here. Sugar is not evil. 
Anyone that tells you that it's evil has bought into another marketing gimmick and is regurgitating other people's opinions and thoughts without having any understanding of how the body works. They do not know what they are talking about, so please ignore this illogical, emotionally charged advice. I see it out there all the time and I hear people talking to their friends and family and someone's read a book or seen a blog or done something for themselves and you know quit sugar and sugar is evil but it's not the actual food and I'll explain why. Glucose is a great fuel for your cells that is uptaken rapidly, used easily, especially by the brain. It uses it effectively and efficiently. If you have carbohydrates in your diet, your body will always use this as its fuel source first. We need all types of micro and macronutrients to be healthy. It's about balance and having the right amounts and not using fear as a motivator. Now before you start screaming at me about keto... Yes, fats are a fantastic source um, of fuel for your brain and I'll touch on that later on. Now the issue is sugar and let's extend this to carbohydrates, especially grains, is they should be thought of as a food to deserve rather than a necessity. This is where people get sugar wrong and this is why people see weight gain with it. It's it's to eat intaken far too frequently. You need to have done something like strenuous exercise and eat it at the right time of the day. For example, post-workout um, to increase your glycogen stores again. It's a great time to have carbohydrate and this warrants its intake. If you see athletes, they will be eating carbohydrates. They will not have a diet that has no carbs in it. If you eat a whole heap of sugar before bed, and yes, toast with honey counts as sugar. Both are actually carbohydrates that will be broken down into sugar. What is your body going to do with that sugar if you're having that as a snack before you go to bed? You're not going to do any strenuous exercise. You're going to go and rest. You have now spiked your insulin because of that sugar intake and you will now store. Your body will then, because the insulin's up, it will tell your body to store that sugar in your liver, muscles, and if there's any excess, the rest as fat. If you don't burn sugar, your body wants to store it and keep it for later. That is the important thing to remember with carbohydrates is that your body wants to keep them. It will use it as a first fuel source, but if there's any left over, we want to hang on to that because we don't know when we're going to get carbs again. That's how our body feels about it. And because, as I said, it's so readily used, your body wants to stockpile that as much as possible. So remember that when you eat carbohydrates. It's not that they're bad, it's that you've got to know when to eat them and how to moderate the effects. 
Vegetables and fruits, for example, are sources of carbohydrates. There are three macros. You have your fats, you have your proteins, and you have your carbohydrates. Foods will fit into one of those three categories. And believe it or not, fruits and vegetables fall into the carbohydrate basket. And they are necessary for all the micronutrient and phytoconstituents that they contain. So these include things like antioxidants, carotenoids, oligomeric proanthocyanidins, chlorophyll, sulforaphane, indole-3-carbonyl, fibre, etc. All these beautiful, wonderful nutrients that we get in our fruits and vegetables. So we do need to eat carbohydrates and you get all these beautiful nutrients from eating a variety of fruits and vegetables, particularly with different colours. Fruits and vegetables are also low calorie and aren't what are causing the real blood glucose level spikes. It's not the sweet potato causing your blood glucose issues, okay? So don't lump all fruits and vegetables into the bad basket. It's all those processed sugars that are more than likely causing your problems and the timing and the amounts of carbohydrates that you're eating. So enjoy a variety of fruits and vegetables in many different colours. Your body loves and thrives on variety. Fruit intake should be less than vegetable intake and fruits should be eaten as the whole fruit rather than juice. Okay, when you have a juice, you're getting way too much sugar and this is where people get confused and they go, oh, I can't have fruit because it has a lot of fructose and sugar and I don't want to cause issues with my blood glucose. The only time fruit can become a real problem is if you are drinking a lot of juice. You wouldn't sit down and eat 10 oranges in one sitting with all the fibre and pulp. Yet that is what you're doing when you have a 350ml glass of juice, orange juice. So you wouldn't sit and eat that many fruits as it takes to make that glass. So think about that when you're having it. Plus, if you're having it as a juice rather than eating the whole fruit, you're losing the benefits of the good fibre. And fibre, when I talk to you about the microbiota, Fibre is so, so important for a healthy functioning gut and that is in fruit. So to wrap up the key points there, sugar is not evil. Carbohydrates can be great when they're eaten at the right times of the day, usually when you've done strenuous exercise or something to deserve them, not as a late evening meal when you're sitting around and going to relax. That's more when you're going to have that stored, insulin spiked, and you're going to gain fat. Eat plenty of veggies and fruits. Don't be scared to have fruit because they have all the good ingredients as well and phytoconstituents as we talked about. And then on top of that, make sure that you are not drinking excessive amounts of juice because you're getting all the sugar because it's been strained out, all the good fiber and all the other Uh, benefits that you want when you're eating a fruit. Now, sugar can also increase lactate levels and this can cause anxiety and panic attacks. If you suffer from anxiety, you may be more sensitive to lactate. Other factors that can affect lactate are 
caffeine, food sensitivities, low levels of niacin, vitamin B6 and vitamin B1, low levels of calcium and magnesium, as well as excessive exercise can increase your lactic acid or lactate levels. Now, lactic acid builds up in your muscles when you exercise. When you stop, it leaches out of the muscle and into your circulation. You've then got this acidic component or compound floating around in your blood and so your body wants to get rid of it. So that blood is pumped through your liver and your liver tries to detoxify or get rid of that lactate. If you have too much lactic acid or you can't process it fast enough, because you might have a particular SNP or genetic polymorph that makes your detoxification pathways maybe a little bit more sluggish than others. There can be a variety of reasons why your liver may not be able to process it fast enough, but that's one. If you can't, then the acid levels will continue to irritate your nerves and trigger your sympathetic nervous system. And as we've talked about, when your sympathetic nervous system is stimulated, you get that anxious fight or flight state. If you find you are feeling anxious post-exercise rather than nice and relaxed like you should due to the endorphins, this may be why you may be having a buildup of too much lactic acid that your body can't deal with it and because you're not processing it properly, that's making you feel anxious. So pay attention because that's not the response you should be having to exercise. When you finish exercise, you should feel um, exhausted, rewarding. You should have that nice endorphin, that warm glow feeling. If you're feeling irritated and wound up after you exercise, please have a think about what your lactic acid might be doing. So sugar, in this sugar series, we're focusing mostly on its impacts neurologically and particularly with anxiety. But also because we're talking about sugars, I just wanted to touch on refined sugar and nutrient depletion that can happen with that because a lot of people don't realize this. And this is why I started this podcast series was to get some of this information out there. Some of this information should be common knowledge and not only to the select few that are in the know that have done the reading and the research or are qualified health practitioners. So refined sugars are actually problematic. Now I don't need to tell you that. You know that, right? Intuitively, you know you shouldn't be eating that bright pink, purple, sugary treat, right? That's not natural. But how else may refined sugars be harmful? And they are harmful in a lot of cases because refined sugar contains no nutrients and it's purely just carbohydrates for energy. Like when we talked about with fruit, the good thing about fruit is it's never as high in sugar content as something you'd buy, like a lolly or something you would buy in the shop. But it also contains all those other constituents like fiber, for example, that are beneficial. But when you have a refined sugar, it is stripped of everything. It is purely just sugar with no nutrients just that car, that energy insulin spiking hit you're going to get. 
And the reason for that is during processing, it is processed sugar is also stripped from trace minerals such as zinc, chromium, manganese and magnesium. So therefore, your body has to use its own stores of these minerals as well as your own stores of B vitamins and calcium to digest this sugar. Your body requires those nutrients to break it down and actually absorb it. Absorption is not just by osmosis. There are a lot of factors at play that actually need to work together to ensure that you actually properly digest and absorb your food. And so as discussed here, when you're eating something that's stripped and refined, your body has to use its own stores because it's not coming packaged in a way that would assist in its absorption. And when you have depletion, when sorry, when your body is using its own stores, you can end up depleting your own stores of those nutrients. So you can end up nutrient depleted when you eat a lot of processed sugars in zinc, chromium, magnesium, manganese, and B vitamins. And if you are depleted in those nutrients, you guessed it, it can cause anxiety and depression. Also, when you eat these sugary foods, they fill you up so you don't have room to eat more nutrient-dense foods that you should be eating. So that's another reason why refined sugars is just not a great idea. If you can avoid it, you should. I'm not saying never eat them because, let's face it, there's going to be social circumstances and situations you'll find yourself in and I don't want you to become orthorexic. (laughs) And um, that's a term that we can talk about another time and that's a new medical term where people are becoming too health conscious and they're actually causing themselves mental... It's like anorexia, except... In this case, you're trying to be too healthy and you're using that almost as an excuse to cover up an eating disorder where you restrict yourself so much that you actually end up nutrient depleted and like an anorexic type person. But we can, that's a whole nother condition of itself. So don't feel guilty, I guess, is what I'm trying to convey here if you do eat refined sugars. But 90% of the time, if not more, if you can, do not eat those foods, okay? They're just not worth it. You'll get the spike of the sugar. You're depleting your nutrients. You're going to store it as fat because you're never going to burn off the amount of sugar in it. It's just not good all round. And while we're discussing uh, sugars that's not good, high fructose corn syrup is in a lot of those processed foods we've been talking about and it is often tainted with mercury a toxic metal that is linked to a huge number of mental health conditions including ADHD autism etc so you can find in processed foods and we'll talk you know mercury arsenic bpa pops dioxin toxicity and gmo foods they can all be problematic when you're buying some of these processed packaged foods so it's a really good idea to have a look on the label and if you don't recognize the name of at least two or more ingredients don't eat it okay that means chemical shitstorm 
Okay. So it's best avoided. Not only that, but you can have arsenic exposure, which often comes, as I was saying, from chicken and contaminated water sources. Um, Arsenic increases insulin resistance and blood glucose problems, causing epigenetic inhibition of sugar regulation, amongst a lot of other things. So arsenic's not typically something you would think of, but in a lot of those factory bred uh, factory bred chickens, um, they often have higher arsenic content in the meat due to the chickens eating often uh, from the way that they are raised. There's often a lot of arsenic in the water supply and those chickens drink the water and then we eat the chickens. So that's the whole cycle there of how arsenic is finding its way into our food sources that we may not realise. And arsenic's a tricky one. Well, it's not too tricky. It's one of the shorter half-lived toxins that you can have. So if you stop being exposed to it for a few days, so you stop eating that chicken, for example, then you will find it washes out of your system quite quickly. So it can be hard to detect and pick up in levels um, due, due to that. So it flushes out quite quickly, which is a good thing. So if you are exposed, you can flush that one out quite quickly, unlike things like mercury and lead, which have a lot longer half-lives and tend to hang around a lot longer. So while we're talking about these problematic things, so dioxins, BPA and POPs, which are persistent organic pollutants, can also play a role in sugar dysregulation. But the whole toxicity of the world we're in is is a topic... I I know I keep saying this, you guys, it's a topic for another day, but there's only so much I can tell you in one hit without muddying the waters too much. So we'll stay focused on the sugar dysregulation and because the toxicity we find ourselves living in today is what I believe personally is contributing the most to a lot of the conditions we are experiencing in the modern world and studies are starting to come through and highlight this. It's, and the problem is it's not the isolated pollutants that the pro- is the problem anymore, but it's the chemical cocktail we are in and the fact that a lot of the chemical combinations that we find ourselves exposed to have not been studied for safety at all. As individual products, sometimes they have studies, but in the US there's tons of products that they've released into the market that has never been studied for human safety. Um, they in the US, they have a well. We haven't seen anything, so we'll put it out. They're almost like the population's treated like a human experiment, which is really, really scary. Here in Australia, we're not quite as bad as the US. However, we keep following trend like they are leading the way, and unfortunately, they're not. And our government really needs to take a hard look at some of the policies and the way that we are treating our food in Australia. And I personally feel the tide is turning. I see a lot more organic foods coming through, which is fantastic. People are starting to realise they don't want to be exposed to this and that this is causing them issues. All right, so off my soapbox there about toxicity. So what can we do about sugar dysregulation? What can we do to help resolve this? So we've talked about what it is and how we might get exposed to hidden sugars, but what do we do about it? Well, the first step 
as simple as it may sound, is don't add extra sugar to food. Now this seems like a no-brainer, right? But that includes no sugar or honey in your coffee or tea, no sugary drinks, no processed foods, and no artificial sweeteners. Artificial sweeteners are not better for you. If you are craving sugar and going mad without it, we need to look at this addiction and that's what it is. If you're craving it and going moody without it or when you're reducing it, these are signs of addiction. We need to see what's going on there, why there is an imbalance in your brain chemistry and what things might be causing that apart from just the sugar. And I'm thinking of a word that starts with C and some of you may have been heard of this before, but one of the ones I'm thinking of is candida. And this is a bug that can be quite a culprit and make you be quite sugar-seeking in your behaviour. But there can be other things, but we need to look at why you are so addicted to that sugar and how we best manage that. So on avoiding sugar, it's also avoiding the processed foods and the white foods, and that includes your junk food, refined sugar, as I said, white rice, except basmati. Basmati is actually moderately GI. Try and eat brown rice if you can, or black rice. Um, And when I'm saying this, I'm not talking specifically about people that may have IBS or have absorption issues because brown rice, it actually takes, you have to have a nice healthy gut in order to break that down. It's a bit harder for our body to process. So we're just focusing on the sugar issues here. So if you um, are having sugar problems, it's best to avoid the white rices, as I said. And go for your brown or blacks or reds, your your other wild grains. Um, to avoid white flour, white breads like pizza, pasta, wraps, soft drink, sugary beverages, alcohol. Because when you think of sugar, you would never sit there and put in your coffee or tea 15 teaspoons of sugar, yet that's what's in your can of Coke or lift which is actually worse than coke in terms of sugar Um, so that seems to be where more of the issue is these processed foods rather than what we're adding to food but still be mindful and don't add it in if you don't need it yes we talked about sugary beverages but also alcohol alcohol is a sugar too so Avoiding alcohol will help with your sugar regulation, which I know is a bit of a faux pas in Australia because we have a very heavy drinking culture that is very excessive here. And it's mentioned a lot when you travel overseas. You think people drink, like people talk about the Irish or other cultures where there's this perception of alcohol drinking. But I have to say here in Australia, I think we are probably one of the worst in terms of alcohol. And alcohol is a drug. Don't think it's not. It's just a socially acceptable one. And it can make you gain weight because why? Why Why do you see men with beer guts walking around? Because... It's a sugar, it spikes in your insulin, they're not exercising or doing anything to deserve that sugar like we talked about. So what does your body do? Stores it as fat. 
So instead of your white foods, let's get back to the white foods. So instead of the white foods, choose whole foods such as brown rice, as I said, or more complex carbohydrates, high fiber foods such as legumes and vegetables. In general, eat organic whole foods whenever you can to avoid pesticides, added hormones, excessive omega-6 from meats that are grain fed etc etc so some common sense stuff but can be hard to apply Um, but if you bear in mind why you're doing it and why you're going to the effort I think that will help in your decision making process okay so you got it avoid the white foods but what else can you do well making sure that you are eating enough protein you need adequate not excessive protein in each meal Proteins are used in almost every metabolic function in your body in in detoxification pathways and so many enzyme reactions as well as by your muscles so that you can move. Not only that, you need protein so the amino amino acids they contain or are made up of can be used by the brain to make neurotransmitters that play a huge role in your mood. Amino acids are also needed for the second brain, which is your gut, where most of your serotonin is made, which is your feel-good hormone. So if you are vegetarian, try making sure you have some organic eggs or maybe some more pea protein, hemp seed or hemp oil, fermented and sprouted soy products, nuts, legumes, sprouts, etc. Make sure you're getting adequate protein so that you can make those neurotransmitters so you feel good. I often find a lot of vegetarians don't get enough protein from their plant sources because as you may be aware it is harder to absorb the plant versions rather than the meat versions and they wonder why they're feeling flat and tired and depressed and a lot of the times it's purely because they're not getting enough protein in their diets and just by making those small changes they notice huge improvements in the energy and their vitality and uh, they feel a lot more upbeat in their mood and I've had people come back to me and go wow I didn't realize how much just adding in some protein would make on the way I feel and it takes one little win like that one little change in for someone to see the difference to go wow food and what I do what I put into my body really can have a huge impact okay so that's protein but what else can we do well making sure we talked about having avoiding the white sort of breads and processed sugars but balance your carbohydrate intake throughout the day try and eat lower gi or low glycemic load foods and food sources to avoid the peaks and dips throughout the day Ensure you are having enough quality carbohydrate to give you energy throughout the day so that you don't slump and get tired. And these low GI or GL foods give a slower burn of energy than high GI GL foods. When I say high GI, it contains a lot. You get the big spike and then the drop. Whereas low GI, you get a slow burn. You get a slow release of sugar throughout the day that sustains you rather than gives you a big swing. So examples of some um, high GI, 
sorry, some low GI foods is vegetables, beans, lentils, nuts, milk, porridge, all of those sort of whole foods. And avoid grain type foods, especially gluten containing forms. We don't need grains. This is where people go a little bit wrong is that we don't need grains for breakfast, lunch, and dinner like so many people do. This is why they have problems with their blood glucose loads and gain weight is because, think about it, cereal for breakfast, that's sugar. Sandwich for lunch, there's more sugar. That sandwich, that bread, those um, grains, there we go again. Um, And then they might have a burger or pasta and rice for dinner. So then you've got more carbs. So you've just had three lots of square meals of carbs and you may not have had the energy output in order to justify that. So try and cut down on your grains. And if you suspect you have intolerances such as gluten intolerance, talk to a practitioner to figure out what's going on. Another thing we can do is add in good fats. Now, fats are so useful in the body. Yes, all those people that were screaming at me about keto, we're going to touch on some keto principles. 50% of your brain is made up of DHA, which is a fat. The brain needs fats to function. Fats and cholesterol is needed to make your hormones as well. So all that cortisol from your anxiety you've been using is putting burden on your adrenals. You need fats to help replenish it. Having more fats allows you to make the hormones and also other sex hormones. Is your period out of whack because of your anxiety? You might need to look at what your fat intake is in order to help that. So what are some good sources of fat? Because not all fats are created equal. Some good sources include hemp oil, olive oil, coconut oil, fish oil, avocado, macadamia oil, all your nut oils really, nuts, etc. They're your good fats. Yes, adding fats in, great to help regulate your blood glucose throughout the day and using that as a fuel source because it's a longer acting fuel source. Fat is the longest acting fuel source that you can eat. But what else can you do? You can try something like intermittent fasting. Now, intermittent fasting is an interesting one and does deserve to be discussed in detail, but it will, in a nutshell, it's pretty simple diet. You're either eating or you're not eating. You're fasting. If you can get your head around it by adding in fasting days, you start to train your body to use its fuel more efficiently. In the beginning, you are hanging out to eat again, but over time, your body adapts and then runs more efficiently than ever. It gives your guts a break so that they aren't always working. When you're eating three square meals every single day, there's not a lot of time that your guts are not working and trying to break down food so they don't have a chance to repair and replenish themselves. So we need to give our guts a break so that they can repair and by having fasting times, that allows that process to occur. Now, there are a lot of different methods out there, including 5 and 2, the 16 and 8. You can have some advocate just having a one-day fast a week of either 24 or 36 hours, etc. But why is intimate fit fasting so good? Well, it allows your head to be clearer 
your brain to make more BDNF and BDNF is like brain fertilizer. Mitochondria biogenesis can occur when you are fasting. Um, It decreases ghrelin and your blood glucose levels can then balance out. So ghrelin being the hormone at play there. And it also decreases insulin stimulation, the same as what happens in a keto diet. And we'll talk about the keto diet next. So this eating style allows better mood balance, decreased brain fog, more focus, and decreased sugar imbalance. And it is personally one that I do. I do the 16 and 8, which means I don't eat for 16 hours, and then I have an 8-hour window when I can eat. And for me, that usually starts around lunchtime and finishes around about 8 o'clock. So I have a period where I can eat, I eat normal balanced meals, but I never can pack in the same as when I was eating three square meals and I'm quite satisfied in that time. It also saves me time personally and it can be great for people with ADHD, for example, and I'll touch on some of those ideas that were floated in, floated in a book called Faster Than Normal because now when I get up in the morning, I don't have to think about making breakfast or running around. I know I can, it doesn't matter if I see food and I think, oh, I'd like that treat because I know I can't eat anything until 12 o'clock and if I still really want that treat, I'll go get it at 12 o'clock but usually by the time 12 o'clock rolls around, I'm eating a healthy, well-balanced meal and that desire to eat that quick sugary fix is well and truly gone. So for me personally, the 16 and 8 is working really, really well. Um, But that doesn't mean that it'll work for everyone. I'm just giving you here some options. So the next option I'm going to give you is also keto diets. Now, keto does not work so well for me, um, but I'll go into depth on this one anyway, because it does work for a lot of people. As those who are keto advocates know, um, keto diets can be really good for the brain. The brain runs extremely well on ketones and ketones are breakdown products of fats. The ketone diet is a high fat, low carb and reasonable protein diet, not excessive protein. Otherwise, If you eat excessive protein, your body will turn that protein into sugar via a process called gluconeogenesis. And this is where people can go wrong on these diets. They eat too much protein and they actually don't get some of the fat burning benefits because your body turns, as I said, that protein into sugar and then it'll use that sugar before it uses the fat sources. So these diets, these keto diets, make you what is termed fat adapted. By having low carbs, it stops those swings with loads and dips of carbohydrate intake. Fats give you, as I said, that slow burn, sustained energy through the day, and ketones also turn off inflammasomes that lead to inflammation. In fact, it is a low inflammatory diet. That is, of course, if you're eating the correct fats, as trans fats are very inflammatory. I'm talking about the good fats that I listed earlier, such as the avocado and the nuts, etc. 
When on this type of diet, a keto diet, it's important too to make sure that you get adequate fiber and enough vegetable, which sometimes people lack or don't balance correctly on this diet. As fiber is important for proper bowel function to prevent cancer, etc., for your microbiome um, and vegetables, as discussed earlier, all the nutrients and minerals and good things that they contain as well. So it's still important to eat vegetables and fruits. This diet is also really good for people that are high insulin secretors. Whereas for people that are low insulin secretors, this diet doesn't seem to do as much for them in terms of metabolism. There's a lot of research into this, particularly that Dr. Ludwig has done. And if you want to know more, he's got his research paper. And on my website, I've put a link to that in the blog post around sugar dysregulation and also there's an interview I've linked on there to Metabolic Mike and if you've heard of um, if you haven't heard of Metabolic Mike he is definitely worth following and having a listen to he knows a lot about metabolic health and in particular around this sort of topic enhancement for athletes and so forth and keto diets etc so if keto is something you're keen to learn more about definitely give him a follow on Instagram or Facebook, etc. Okay, what else can we do? I feel like it's what else, what else, what else? Okay, another thing, and this is probably the last one I'm going to cover because we've been talking for a while now. Not that I don't love talking to you and I'm sure not that you don't love listening to me, but we might as well stick to the point, right? So what else can we do for this? We, well, if you're finding that you're getting a blood glucose dip during the night, or well, if you wake up And how do you know that that's happening? If you're waking up feeling anxious or hungry during the night, that may be due to a dip in your blood glucose levels. So a snack like a banana, which contains tryptophan, which helps promote sleep, with some nut butter, such as almond butter or peanut butter. And there's some really good nut butters. Um, Yummy Gluten-Free does some of the best nut butters I've ever had. So go have a look. Um, for those products, buy them. Um, definitely worth it. You you won't regret trying it. Um, so something like that, a nut butter that doesn't have added sugar and salt like the yummy gluten-free ones don't. And so have that on, uh, on a banana and that might help you get back to sleep easier. But then you'd be wanting to look at what kind of meal you're having for dinner for why that's happening. But a little snack like that is definitely better than having some honey on toast as a snack. Okay. But other things that might be keeping you awake may not just be that dip in blood glucose. It might be your cortisol levels are too high. So you're too stressed out. You might have eaten something, you might have food sensitivities. So you might have eaten something at dinner and you're having a reaction to that throughout the night. Um, Caffeine, if you've had too much caffeine or you've snuck caffeine in, a lot of people forget that green tea has caffeine in it and will have green tea in the evening and wonder why they can't get to sleep. Uh, Low serotonin might be a problem for you or you might be low in GABA. So there's some other things to think about if you're waking up throughout the night feeling a bit anxious. There are also lots of beautiful supplements and herbs that you can take to help balance out your sugars and some of them being things like chromium, glutamine, magnesium, jemima, great herb. Actually, if you are someone that craves sugar, 
if you have some Jemima before you eat your sugary treat, it blocks that sugar receptor sensation and you don't get that same satisfaction. So it's almost like, do you remember as a kid, if you bit your nails, maybe you got put on um, on your nails that that's that stuff like that makes your nails taste awful so you didn't really want to do it anymore. It didn't work for me, by the way. I've still found a way to bite my nails around that. I was dedicated to the cause. <laughs> but um, Jamima sort of works in a similar way. So it takes away that sugar hit, that oh, good sensation you get when you're craving sugar. So it's almost like a null effect. And you have the sugar and you're like, oh, well, that didn't do anything. That didn't make me feel better. And so it, it kind of averts you from having sugar due to it blunting that sensation that you get. So Jamima can be quite effective if you're in that, you know, seeking that feel good addictive sensation from sugar because sugar is an addiction. It's just, um, it's actually that I would say it's probably one of the hardest addictions to deal with because when you're an addict to something else, you can avoid, you can usually avoid situations where you're exposed or have to deal with that with some effort and strategies. But sugar, how do you avoid it? It's literally everywhere. In the shops, um, at work, wherever you go, there's sugar around and you have to eat. You can't not eat, you die. So I think that's actually one of the harder addictions to deal with. And that's why if you do have an actual sugar addiction, you need a lot more structure around your eating in order to deal with that. And you're going to need a structure around your eating for life if you're a sugar addict. Okay. Um, what else can we take? Well, other herbs and supplements. Fenugreek's really good. Cinnamon, beautiful. Um, goat's root, Korean ginseng, better, better bitter melon, um, they can all be used to regulate your blood glucose levels. In addition to your changes in diet, herbs stimulates functions in the body. So nutrients are the building blocks and herbs sort of stimulate that action. So think of that, you don't want to, you can't out supplement a shitty diet, okay? And so herbs are like the icing on the cake, they're the addition to um, they shouldn't be the mainstay. You still got to do the work with your diet, and but having herbs or supplements alongside your diet makes the healing take place a lot faster and more efficiently than diet alone. So they complement each other quite beautifully. Um, but we'll go into detail on herbs in another blog, and I will definitely talk to you soon um, about a few of my herbs because herbs are just so lovely. They just have such beautiful, our bodies are designed to have these. They just have such beautiful reactions and responses in us, unlike the restrictive patterns that happen with a lot of medications. And But saying that, a lot of the times they're more gentle in their action and can take a little bit longer to see the benefits. So if you need help with your sugar, dysregulation and you think it might be causing mental health problems for you such as anxiety or mood problems um, go and talk to a qualified practitioner and have a chat and see what can be done for it for you all right well I think that's enough it's actually starting to rain here so I'm gonna leave it there so have a beautiful evening day wherever you are whatever you're doing in the world and we will chat again soon Bye for now.